Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Look. It's a wolf thing. What's a wolf thing? Um... You know we have no control over it. But we can't choose who it happens with, and it doesn't mean what you think, Bella. I promise. Take one as my other room. Oh. Amber, don't touch me right now. I don't want to hurt you. You imprinted on my daughter? It wasn't my choice. She's a baby! It's not like that. You think Edward would let me live if it was? I'm still debating it. I've held her once. One time, Jacob. And already you think that you have some moronic, wolfy claim on her? She's mine! Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're starting Breaking Dawn, finally. Oh, I am so excited to dig into all of the Freudian shit going on in this book. Like, we've got to deal with demon spawn baby Renesme, which I mean, I mean, where do we begin? And so I've just put that little teaser of Jacob imprinting on her because honestly, how wild is it that Jacob imprinted on a baby? Like, I, I know Stephanie Meyer foreshadowed this. She even hinted at it during Eclipse, but. Still, when it happens, you're just like, why? (laughs) In this day and age? She really went that route. You know, it's from her imagination. I think Stephanie Meyer likes to pretend that she just puts on a muse playlist and she just writes history. But no, you're making this up, doll. You're making choices as you're putting pen to paper and you can change those choices. You could even write it and say, you know what? Nah. I don't need Jacob to imprint on a baby. And yet here we are. Here we bloody well are. Oh, I'm so excited to be back talking to you guys. I took a little break over Christmas and New Year's. I've been releasing the 365 days content from the Patreon from a couple of years ago. I hope you've listened and enjoyed. I've used that time to rest and relax and take a break from the world of bad books. Although I didn't really get that much of a break because I have also been covering Fifty Shades Freed for the Patreon which has just been a fever dream. I know I say like a lot that Fifty Shades and Twilight have the same plot, but they have the same plot because Anna's just found out that she's pregnant. Christian flips his fucking lid. He's so upset at her about being pregnant and it makes no narrative sense for her to be pregnant at this 
stage in their relationship. But because E.L. James is plagiarizing Twilight, she's like, well, I had to, I have to go through the same motions. And so if you want to relive Twilight, but through a sexier, kinkier lens, then please head over to patreon.com slash breaking down bad books and see what you've been missing. But for now, we've got a lot to tackle when we're looking at Breaking Dawn. So let's dig into it. So where we left off, there was a whole big thing with the newborn vampire army getting collated by Victoria. She was trying to wage war on the Cullens to slash just Bella. (laughs) But because she was racking up a body count, the Volturi were like, well, we better go and inspect. And so the Volturi were like, you got to turn this doll, this little human chickadee, you got to turn her into a vampire. And so while all that's going on, Bella's just been fighting with Edward about when he's going to turn her their relationship status, he wants to marry her. They have to negotiate that type of thing. Usually a proposal is just like a, hey, do you want to marry me? But um, for Edward, it's like, well, if I do this, then you have to marry me. And then, okay, then I will have sex with you while you're still human on the condition that you go to college. And so they're just like negotiating contracts like it's Fifty Shades. And she finally dumped Jacob, like not so much dumped because they were never really dating, but there was that, you know, unresolved sexual tension between the two of them. And she was finally like, hey, mate, I'm picking nice. As much as I've blocked out the book, it's all coming back to me. So this book, Breaking Dawn, controversially, I do believe, is split into books itself. So we've got book one, Bella, book two, Jacob, book three, Bella. And I know people hate the Jacob book. It's 10 chapters trapped in his POV. And yeah, I can see why people don't like that. It's been, I think like 10 years since I've read this book. So I don't remember it, but Yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So this one's book one, it's Bella. We get a little epigraph saying, childhood is not from birth to a certain age. And at a certain age, the child is grown and puts away childish things. Childhood is the kingdom where nobody dies. And that's from Edna St. Vincent Millay. Okay, and so you're like, from that you're thinking, oh, this could be to do with Bella's coming of age by becoming a vampire, but no sneaky. I think it's actually to do with her having a kid. Or actually, it's probably more likely to do with immortality. Anyway, I think it's foreshadowing that she's going to pop out a bub. And then we get a preface, which is another bait and switch. Every every fucking book, she does that thing where she's like, oh no, Bella's dying. And Bella's like, I didn't realize I'd be dying, but guess what? I'm dying. (laughs) In Twilight, she's like, I'd never given much thought to how I'd die but here I am dying for the sake of the ones I love. And she's just copied that completely for this one. So this one, she's like, I had more than my fair share of near death experiences, but guess what? I've got another one. But when you loved the one that was killing you, it left you no options. How could you run? How could you fight when doing so would hurt that beloved? If your life was all you had to give your beloved, how could you not give it? If it was truly someone that you loved. I never thought about dying, except I think about dying at the start of every fucking book in this series. So yeah, she's trying to bait and switch us to make us think that like Edward's going to kill her or Jacob's going to kill her. Charlie's going to kill her. Someone's going to kill her. But no, I think she's also referring to the unborn bub. Either way, it's pretty schlocky to just reuse the prologue from Twilight. She's really just cut and paste that one. God bless her. God bless Stephanie Meyer. And then we go to chapter one, which is titled Engaged, because they just got engaged. Okay, yeah, that one makes sense. 
So we open with Bella in her brand new car and she's doing this whole thing about being like, oh my God, everyone in town is obsessed with me. Everyone wants a piece of the Bella. Everyone's staring at me. Everyone is bloody caught up in my drama. Like she's Harry and Megan. <laughs> You're not Harry and Megan, doll. She thinks everyone in Forks is just following her every movement and they may very well be because it's a boring little town. Oh, but she thinks she's the hot ticket. So she's saying to herself, no one's staring at you. I promised myself. No one is staring at you. No one is staring at you. Then she says, but because I couldn't lie convincingly, even to myself, I had to check. Now, that one really gave me pause because I feel like it's harder to lie to yourself than it is to other people. She's like, I couldn't even lie to myself. It's like, yeah, of course you can't lie to yourself because you know that you're lying in the act of telling yourself a lie. So why would you believe that lie? So she stopped at the traffic lights of this brand new car, which we'll hear more about. And she says, Mrs. Weber is like pulled up beside her in a minivan. And she's like spun her whole body in Bella's direction, trying to get a peek. She says her eyes bored into mine. And I flashed back, wondering why she didn't drop her gaze or looked ashamed. And then she's like, oh, wait a minute. Then I remembered that these windows were so darkly tinted that she probably had no idea if it was even me in here. So no one is looking at you. She's all obsessed being like, everyone's staring, everyone's staring. I can't even lie to myself because everybody is staring and yet no one's staring because you've got tinted windows. So what is the truth, Christine? And then Stephanie just describes all of the townsfolk, all of the background extras just whipping around, (laughs) examining this car that she's in. She says, two pedestrians were frozen on the sidewalk, missing their chance to cross as they stared because they were just so gooped, gagged, agog and aghast. The town was a standstill. They forgot to walk. It was just so remarkable seeing this car in Forks. She says behind them, Mr. Marshall in the souvenir shop, he was gawking through the plate glass window. And she says, at least he didn't have his nose pressed up against the glass. And then she says, full stop. New sentence, yet, full stop, end of sentence. So she's really driving it home that people are stopping to look at this vehicle. And I'm thinking, is she driving a fucking spaceship? Why, why is she causing such a stir? And then the light goes green and she's like, I've got to get out of here from the prying eyes of the minivan and, and Mr. Marshall and the souvenir shop. By the way, souvenir shop, who's going to Forks and buying souvenirs? Like I get it now in the economy of Twilight, but... Prior to Twilight being published, were people going to Forks and buying souvenirs enough to justify the existence of a whole souvenir shop? Like, you know, the, the camping store that Mike's family own. I get that because people will go camping. But I mean, how many key rings and bookmarks is Mr. Marshall selling to stay afloat in this economy? Anyway, in her hurry to leave, she slams down her foot on the pedal and she goes, lurching forward. She's creating such a fucking stir because she's realized she's not in her ancient Chevy. And this, by the way, also happens in Fifty Shades. She trades in her old Beetle. She gets a new car. Oh, it's a whole big thing. Just ripped from the pages of Twilight. And then she goes, arg. Like, I want to say it's R, but it's spelled A-R-G exclamation point. So arg. She goes, arg. I fumble for the break. And so then she hits the brake. All right, so she still can't drive. We've established that she still can't drive even though she's in a new vehicle. 
And then she goes, I managed to reach my goal, the gas station. Oh, you managed, did you, sweets? In this tiny little town with three roads, you managed to get to the gas station in your brand new expensive car, which makes driving easier, you'd think. She managed. And so she's pumping the petrol and she goes, it wasn't bright out, you know, a typical drizzly day in Forks, Washington. (laughs) Stephanie's got to remind us the setting. It's book four, but no, we've got to get a reminder that it's Forks, Washington, not Forks, Nevada or Forks, California or Forks, North fucking Dakota. It's Forks, Washington. And she's like, oh, it's at times like this. I feel like my new engagement ring were pulsing like a neon sign. Look at me, look at me. She's so self-obsessed. Like, do you really think everyone's paying that much attention to your fingers? Especially when you're in such a jaunty little car. We're not looking at your hands. And because the car is so new, it's so shocking. Some people at the petrol station are like, oh, hey, miss, um, can we get some photos with your car? And this guy, this hiker, he's like, oh, I'm sorry to bother you, but could you tell me what kind of car you're driving? And she's like, I don't know, a fucking Mercedes or something. And they're like, yes, but like, what type? He says, is that a Mercedes Guardian? And she's like, I don't know. She doesn't know cars. She doesn't care. In her mind, she's like, this guy would get along well with Edward, my fiance. She's again, reminding us that they're engaged, even though the the title of the chapter is engaged. She's made reference to her engagement ring, but no, we've got to, we've got to be reminded that it's Edward she's engaged to. In case you thought the love triangle from Eclipse got resolved in Jacob's favor, in case you just misremembered how that all panned out. No, she's specifying that it's with Edward. And then while this guy's talking about the car or something, she's zoning out and she's briefly contemplating her issues with words like fiance, wedding, husband, etc. So this guy, he's saying, oh, they aren't, aren't supposed to be available in Europe yet, these cars, let alone here in Forks, Washington, of all places. And she's thinking about the engagement. She says, I had been raised to cringe at the very thought of poofy white dresses. Okay, you can't say poofy. I'm sorry, I know you're using it in a different way, but it's one of those words that we just don't say anymore. You just need to cut that one out of your vocab, Steph. But she says, but more than that, I just couldn't reconcile a respectable, dull concept like husband with my concept of Edward. It was like casting an archangel as an accountant. Oh my God. Edward's so special, so beautiful, so unique. Oh, he would never be so ordinary as to be a husband. Like, oh my God, shut up, Bella. Shut up. She's got tunnel vision for that boy. And she says, like always, as soon as I started thinking about Edward, I was caught up in a dizzy spin of fantasies. Oh my God. Oh my God, grow up. That's not love, that's infatuation. Ugh, she really is a simp. She's a simp for that man. Anyway, so these guys are like, can I take a picture with your car? And she's like, sure. And he goes, yeah, nobody is gonna believe me if I don't get proof. So now I'm thinking that this car is just so ridiculously unique and far-fetched. And my thing is like, okay, so the Cullens, uh, they're vampires, right? We haven't been reminded of that fact yet in this book, but you know, it's book four. We know they're vampires. And they move around the country every few years, enrolling their kids, you know, kids in quote marks, enrolling these adult vampires into high school so that they can stay at places longer, keeping a low profile. It's like, okay, well, if you want to keep a low profile, that's why you've moved to Forks. Why are you buying these ostentatious cars that draw so much attention? You're driving a car that isn't available yet in Europe or the continental United States. 
And yet you're still expecting to keep a low profile in Forks, Washington. Okay. So Bella's like, yeah, take a photo. I don't care. And then she recollects about how her truck broke down the other day, just after she agreed with Edward that once her truck breaks down, he can buy her a new one. And then lo and behold, the truck breaks down. And she's like, I'm starting to suspect maybe Edward was in on it. And it's like, yes, doll. Anyway, so then these two hiker boys, they're talking about what they know about the car. And it seems like they're both on the same page, but they have to just state the facts that they know so that us, the reader, can eavesdrop and Bella can eavesdrop on what they're saying. So listen to the dialogue. One of them, she picks up halfway through a sentence, but one of them says, went at it with a flamethrower in the online video. Online video. Didn't even pucker the paint. And the other one says, of course not. (laughs) He already knows that. Of course not. You could roll a tank over this baby. Not much of a market for one over here. Designed for Middle East diplomats, arms dealers, and drug lords mostly. Like, okay, yeah, they sound like two teenage boys. And then the other one goes, well, what's hers? What's her deal? Is she a drug lord or something? And the other one's like, I don't know. He says, can't imagine what you'd need missile proof glass and 4,000. See, see the specifics that they're just stating out loud to each other. So she's aware of what car she's driving. Can't imagine what you'd need missile proof glass and 4,000 pounds of body armor for around here. Must be headed somewhere more hazardous. And so she's of course listening, being like 4,000 pounds of body armor, what? Missile proof glass, flamethrower, oh geez. But what I find so funny is that they're just like, oh, this, this car, it's indestructible. She must be heading somewhere more hazardous. And yet, She almost crashed it driving to the petrol station. Just when she was launching off from the traffic lights, she almost crashed. So I think we're going to need a bigger boat when it comes to Bella Swan knowing how to drive. And so now she's putting the pieces together and she's like, oh, of course, it makes sense that Edward would want me to drive something that's safe. And it's like, oh my God, you don't know the man at all, do you? But we also find out that she's got a before car and an after car. So this is the before car for before she turns into a vampire which is why it needs all the extra precautions. And then she has an after car, which she can drive once she's a vampire. Even though presumably she'd be dealing with, you know, bloodlust for the next four years of her life, uncontrollable hunger for human blood. And yet, no, she's already got a car lined up and it's sitting in the Cullen garage with a sheet over it. And she goes, well, maybe actually, maybe it's not a joke behind my back, but he's actually worried about me and he's trying to protect me through this car. And it's like, oh my God, yes. Edward, overbearing, overprotective. What, since when? So then she starts talking about the after car because she'll be turning into a vampire. So we get that reminder. She says, virtual indestructibility was just one of the many perks I was looking forward to. The best parts about being a Cullen were not expensive cars and impressive credit cards. It's like, okay, what are the best parts then? Drinking blood? Not being able to go out in full sunshine? I actually think the best part about being a Cullen would would be the credit card limits. It would be buying nice fancy shit. It wouldn't be repeating high school every five years of my life. Nuh-uh. So then she's leaving the petrol station and she's driving past all of these flyers on the telegraph poles saying, have you seen this boy? And they're pictures of Jacob. She's like, they're pictures of my best friend, my favorite mechanic, my Jacob. And yeah, she keeps saying my favorite mechanic like over and over again to describe Jacob, which I think is weird. He was a lot more than just your mechanic. 
you almost banged in a tent in the middle of a snowstorm. I mean, give, give the guy some props. Give him some credit. So Charlie, we find out, has been going really ham with trying to find Jacob. He's been putting signs up everywhere. He's got one of those cork boards that detectives put up trying to figure out all of the clues to his disappearance. Except there are no clues because he just ran off in wolf form. So of course no one's seen him. We're led to believe Jacob's just been a wolf for a few weeks. I don't know how long it's been, but I'm guessing it's been what, four or five weeks. And Charlie like can't figure out why no one else is that bothered. (laughs) Like Billy, Jacob's dad is just like, oh yeah, he'll turn up. Because they all know, they all know. And all of the little wolf buddies have a telepathic connection to him. So they know that he's fine. And she also says, that Charlie's been frustrated with Bella because she's taking Billy's side, which is just that like, he'll turn up eventually. And she says that she hasn't even put up any posters. What a fucking bitch. Like, I know you know he's fine, but your dad is saying to you, oh, your best friend's missing. And she's like, whatever. She's not even putting up posters. And yet when Edward dumped her, she was comatose for three months. The seasons were changing outside of a bedroom window. And Charlie was witnessing this huge depressive episode and yet Jacob's gone missing and she's like, whatever. And she's not even offering to help put up posters. If I were Charlie, I'd be like, huh, my daughter's a sociopath. So Stephanie doesn't really go into that, but I am intrigued. I am intrigued as to what Charlie really thinks of Bella's reaction. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And so then she says, the flyers put the usual big fat lump in my throat, the usual stinging tears in my eyes. Again, Forks has like three roads. Every time she's driving to and from school, to and from the Collins house, to and from the petrol station, 
She's crying. Each time she's on the road, she's crying. Is that what I'm led to believe? Then she pulls up home. It's a Saturday, so Charlie's inside. So she doesn't want to go inside to make this phone call. So she stays in the car. She pulls out the mobile phone from the glove box that that Edward gave her for emergencies. And she calls Seth. Well, I think she calls Billy's house or someone's house. Seth answers the phone. And she's like, oh, hey, Seth, it's Bella. And he goes, oh, hi, Bella. I love when we get all of the dialogue for a phone conversation, including the pleasantries and the greetings and the sign-offs. I love that. And Seth goes, oh, are you calling for an update? And she goes, you're psychic. And he says, not hardly. I'm no Alice. You're just predictable, which she is. And so she says that Seth was the only member of the pack that were comfortable ever mentioning the Cullens by name let alone joking about things like her nearly omniscient sister-in-law to be, which is a reminder that Alice is nearly omniscient, although uh, I disagree. Bella loves gassing up Alice's talents and like she could just see the future. She can see every little possibility, but no, she can't. In fact, Bella, you got the jump on her when you slipped into a bathroom at the Phoenix airport and ran out and Alice didn't see that coming. So no, I don't think she's nearly omniscient. So Bella's like, how is he? And he goes, yes, same. He won't talk though we know he hears us. He's trying not to think human, just going with his instincts. He's in Northern Canada, although we don't know which state because he doesn't pay much attention to state lines. And she's like, is he coming home? And he goes, no, bitch, he's not coming home. And she goes, thanks for putting up with me, Seth. I know the others must give you a hard time. And he says, yeah, they're not your hugest fans. Kind of lame, I think. Jacob made his choices, you made yours. Jake doesn't like their attitude about it. Of course, he isn't super thrilled that you're checking up on him either. And she gasps. She goes, what? What? How, how do you know what Jacob's thinking? And it's like, bitch, they're telepathic. And Seth's like, yeah, just because he's trying not to think of things doesn't mean we can't pick up on some things. And she's gasping. She's shocked. Anyway, then he's like, okay, well... All right, that's that. And she goes, yep, see you at the wedding. So Seth's going to the wedding. That's nice. He and Edward have become buddies ever since the big fight from Eclipse. So that's, yeah, great. And then Leah gets home and Bella's like, oh, gotta go by because, you know, they don't get along because Leah's scary. I still don't like how they treat Leah. Her fiance goes running off with a cousin and everyone makes out like she's the bad guy. (laughs) How dare she be upset with that situation? How dare she? So then she's walking into the house and she has a flashback to the night that her and Edward told Charlie that they were going to get married. So as Charlie was getting home, she was fidgeting. She was stressed. She's comparing it to a horror movie. Like, oh my God, calm down. And Edward says, calm down, Bella. (laughs) If I had a dollar for every time that I've said, calm down, Bella, or Edward said, calm down, Bella, I'd have like 58 bucks. And Charlie walks in and Edward's like, oh, hey, Charlie. And she's like, stop. At least wait until he hangs his gun up. And it's like, do you really think Charlie's going to shoot Edward? Do you really think that's what's going to happen? Because Charlie thinks that that's a human being. And you think the chief of police of Forks, Washington, is just going to shoot a kid in his house? She's all stressed. Wait till he hangs up the gun. Like, what? If you really think your dad's going to kill him, maybe don't tell your dad. Maybe just move out and cut him out of your life because that sounds like a psycho person. But no, she's just being dramatic. So I say, calm down, Bella. So Charlie's like, hey, kids, what's up? And Edward says, we'd like to talk to you. We have some good news. So he's really driving the conversation. And Charlie's like, oh, geez, what is it? And Bella says, have a seat, dad. So you know, it's going to be bad. 
And she says, don't get worked up, dad. See, now I think you think you're easing him into it, but you're actually prepping him for bad news with what you're doing right now. So I wouldn't do that, Bella. And she says, everything's okay, dad. And then Edward's getting mad at her because she said, okay, instead of like, everything's magical. So she can't bloody win. Even though all she wants in life is to please the men around her, she can't bloody win. And that's the the thing about Bella. She seems to have no ambitions for herself. She just wants to become a vampire. That's it. She just wants to live with Edward forever. And I'm like, do you want a job? As much as Anna in Fifty Shades of Grey, as much as she's the dumbest person in the world, at least she has a job and she wants a job and she wants to work. At least she's contributing to society in some vague way. But Bella, she's just completely focused on Edward and nothing else to the detriment of her own humanity. And I just can't respect that. I can't respect it. And Charlie's like, well, if it's so okay, Bella, then why are you sweating bullets? And she goes, I'm not sweating. I lied. And we know she can't lie. She can't even lie to herself. And Charlie's like, oh my God, you're pregnant. Oh geez, you're pregnant, aren't you? And he's getting all angry. And she's like, no, I'm not pregnant. And she thinks like, oh, I told Edward that people would immediately jump to this conclusion. And it's like, yeah, of course. And so that's going nowhere. Charlie and Bella are just looking at each other awkwardly. And Edward's like, fine already, I'll do it. So he says, look, Charlie, I realize that I've gone out of order. Traditionally, I should have asked you first, but hey, Bella's already said yes. And I don't want to diminish her choice in the matter. So I'm going to ask you for your blessing instead of for her hand. And he says, we're getting married. I love her more than anything in the world, more than my own life. And by some miracle, she loves me too. Will you give us your blessing? And Bella's like, oh my God. He sounded so sure, so calm for just an instant. Listening to the absolute confidence in his voice, I experienced a rare moment of insight. (laughs) I could see fleetingly the way the world looked to him. For the length of one heartbeat, this news made perfect sense. And yet... We all know Edward can read minds. So I bet he's reading Charlie's mind right now and Charlie's freaking losing it in his, in his mind. So I don't know if she's adequately seeing how the world looks through Edward's eyes. She thinks she is, but I don't think she is. So then Charlie's face goes from fair to red, red to purple, and then purple to blue. She says, I held my breath while his skin changed colors. And I don't think he's okay. I think he's dying. He's choking at least. Is he snacking on some peanuts or something? Because that guy needs the Heimlich. And then eventually after he goes back to his normal color, he's like, I guess I'm not that surprised. I knew I'd have to deal with something like this soon enough. And it's like, yeah, you shouldn't be that surprised. And Charlie says, are you sure about this? And she says, I'm 100% sure about Edward. See, she thinks she's so smart that she's just getting one over people when she omits words like that. Like she's just being asked a question about the marriage. And she's like, I'm 100% sure about Edward. Not about the wedding, but about Edward. So she's thinking she's finding loopholes, but this man's a chief police officer. And he says, ah, well, what about getting married though? Like the question that I just asked you, what's the rush? And she narrates to us. She's like, well, the rush is, I'm getting closer to 19 every day. Oh, shock horror. Meanwhile, Edward's frozen in his perfect 17-year-old self, which, ugh, (laughs) sounds creepy. (laughs) Sounds so creepy. So yeah, because of her panic about aging, she needs to become immortal. And to do that, she has to get married. 
It's a whole big thing. She took a whole freaking book to like explain that to us with the clip. So I don't really think we need to go over it again, but that's the lay of the land. But Edward just says to Charlie, oh, we're going away to Dartmouth together in the fall. I'd like to do it the right way. It's how I was raised, sort of indicating we're going to be at uni together, living together, banging. I'd rather be married to her if we're going to live together. And he's like, yeah, I was raised traditional. And I'm like, it's the 2000s. I think it's more of a red flag to be like, oh, if I'm going to live with you, I have to be married to you. I don't know. That's just me. And apparently that's just like put Charlie in an awkward position because he's like, oh, well, yeah. What could he say? I'd prefer that you'd live in sin first. She's like, he was a dad. His hands were tied. And I don't, I don't really know if they are that tied. He could shoot Edward. (laughs) That is the other option that we've explored. And then Charlie's just like, I knew this was coming. And then he gets a brainwave and he's like, well, ha ha ha. And he starts laughing. She's saying he busted into loud guffaws. Like it's so hilarious. And he says, yeah, fine, get married, but you have to tell your mum. I'm not saying one word to Renee, that's all yours. And he's laughing like that's hilarious. So then she must have gone and flown to Florida to have a chat to Renee because she says she's there standing with a hand on the doorknob and she's thinking, oh no, how am I going to tell Renee? She says, early marriage was higher up on her blacklist than boiling live puppies. Now, I want to believe that Bella's just exaggerating for like comedic effect, but can you imagine if Renee would actually prefer that her daughter boiled live puppies than get married? That's psychotic as well. Maybe Bella just thinks the worst of her parents. She thinks her dad's going to be a bloody murderer and she thinks that her, her mum's a puppy boiler or at least endorses puppy boiling. But then she goes, who could have foreseen her response? Not me. Certainly not Charlie, maybe Alice, maybe Alice, but I hadn't thought to ask her. What, what, what? You flew all the way to Florida, presumably stressing out the whole flight, worried about her reaction, and you forgot that your sister-in-law sees the future and you never thought to ask. You never thought to ask, what? If I were Bella, I'd be saying, Alice, fill me in on what's happening. On my day-to-day life, I'd just be saying, hey, what's good today? What's the weather like? Should I bring a jacket? I'd just be milking her for everything she's worth. But in particular, around stressful situations such as this, I'd be getting the heads up. I'd be bringing Jasper and saying, hey, Jasper, lighten the mood when you're in the room, please. Emmett doesn't have any skills, but I'd be bringing him too, just to ease the tension. I'd be using their talents. But she forgets, she forgets. And so Renee just goes, oh, okay, yeah. I'm a little miffed that you waited so long to tell me because, you know, plane tickets get more expensive and everything. Um, And then she's like, oh, no, do you think Phil's cast will be off by the wedding? Oh, it'll spoil the pictures if he's not in a tux. Okay, so Renee is still super self-centered. She's still shacked up with this Phil character who I think has been in a cast for three books now. Did he break every bone in his body? Like, why, why are his bones not healing? And Bella's like, back up, mum. I actually just got engaged to Edward. And she's like, oh, really? I just assumed you guys got engaged ages ago. When you came to visit me in April, everything looked like a done deal. And she goes, you're not very hard to read, sweetie. Which, okay, she's not. But also, she has been keeping a few big secrets from you, Renee. (laughs) The vampire thing, for one. If she actually said, mum, Edward's a vampire. And she was like, yeah, I know. He stayed indoors all day while we're living in sunny Florida. Like I I figured that out. Then I'd be shocked. I'd be like, wow, Renee, you're really perceptive. But no, Renee's gloating at how she knows everything. 
And yet, like, if you only knew, Renee, if you only knew. She sighed and she goes, oh, well, Bella, once you make up your mind, there's no reasoning with you. Of course, exactly like Charlie, you stick by your decisions too. And no, she doesn't. Either this is like Stephanie Meyer winking at the reader being like, hey, look, her mum doesn't know her at all because she's a distant, horrible parent. Or Stephanie actually thinks that that is the case, that Bella sticks with her decisions. But we know, we know she doesn't because she didn't want to get married. And look, she's going to get married. Remember, I think last book where she wanted to go and hang out with Jacob and Edward like banned her from going to La Bush and she just put up with that. Like, no, I don't think she's that stubborn with her own decisions when it comes to Edward changing her mind on those decisions. Anyway, so then Renee makes this big speech about love and making mistakes and how she's different from Bella and Bella should go for it. All that crap. And Bella does that thing where she's like, you're not mad? You don't think I'm making a mistake? And Renee's like, I didn't say that. And she's like, but don't you think I'm too young? And Renee's like, I didn't say that. And she's like, but what about this? And Renee's like, oh my God, do you even want to get fucking married? And Bella says, but aren't you going to say that I sound exactly like every other infatuated teenager since the dawn of time? And Renee says, oh, you've never been a teenager, sweetie. Uh, well, actually she has and is a teenager. I also don't like how Renee just acts like she's a 40 year old woman. Like, no, your daughter is your daughter. She's not a grown-ass woman. I don't like Renee. I don't like her. But Renee likes Esme, apparently. They're getting along like a house on fire. They're planning the wedding. They're on the phone to each other all the time. They adore each other. Renee's probably happy that the Cullens are paying for the wedding. That's what I think she's happy about. And then Charlie's furious that Renee rolled over so easily. So that's, that's something. But she's off the hook. So there goes that bit of conflict. One thing you'll see about Breaking Dawn is everyone gets a happy ending. Struggles are not struggles. No one has to overcome anything or they make vague attempts to overcome an issue and then do ex machina comes. Conflict is teased and never occurred. It's all one big fantasy. So yeah, we spend books worrying about Charlie's reaction and then he's fine with it. And even though he's not really that fine with it, he keeps it to himself. So really it's a win-win. So then we're back in the present. She's entering the house and Charlie's like, oh, hang on a tick, Bella, hang on a tick. And Alice is there fitting him for a suit. So he comes out, he's wearing this pale gray suit for the wedding. He's looking very debonair. And remember, Charlie loves Alice. So he's probably just like, yeah, I'll let Alice dress me up. I think he's got a crush on Alice which is not the most inappropriate relationship with an age difference in this book if it were to happen. I'd much rather see Alice shack up with Charlie than Jacob with Renesmee. Oh boy, we'll get to that. Old Rigatoni. And then Alice is like, Bella, you need to try on your dress. So then they do. Um, She gets naked and Alice puts the dress on her, but she goes to her happy place to try and block out the the horrible realities of what's going on. The way she talks about it, like, If you don't want to get married, don't get married. Don't become a vampire. Reap what you sow. I'm so sick of you complaining about your wedding, you poor thing. Oh, someone loves you and wants to spend the afterlife, their immortality with you. Oh, how how horrible for you. Oh, you have to wear a pretty dress at a party. Oh, you poor thing. So she's telling us in my happy place, the whole wedding mess was over and done. By the way, she's not planning a single thing. Alice and Esme and Renee, they're all planning everything. She's done nothing. And she's like, oh, this whole wedding mess is behind me. You just have to show up. Oh, she's like, oh, it's already behind me. Repressed and forgotten. 
in her happy place, that is. She says, we were alone, just Edward and me. The setting was fuzzy and constantly in flux. It morphed from misty forest to cloud-covered city to arctic night. Always at night, obviously, because he's a vampire that you're marrying. Because Edward was keeping the location of our honeymoon a secret surprise to me. Okay, I don't like that. Don't be planning surprise holidays. I want to know where I'm going. I want to look it up on wiki travel and find out where's good. I'm going on TripAdvisor and looking up nice restaurants. I'm pre-booking activities and tours. And if you can't come out in the day, I'm going on a tour by myself. I'll say, have a nice sleep, sweets, even though Edward doesn't sleep. I'd say, have a nice sleep. I'm exploring this place that I chose to go to, but no, he's going to keep it a secret. And also, what's the, what's the practicality of that? When are you revealing the secret? It's not like you can step off the plane and be like, surprise, because it's quite obvious when you're on a plane where you're going because they say it a million times. It's on the screen in front of you. It's on your ticket. You can't be like that kid from Home Alone. You know Home Alone 2 when he goes to New York and he gets to New York and he's like, oh, wow, I'm in New York. And I'm like, did the flight attendants not say anything? I know he had headphones on or whatever, but like have some sort of spatial awareness around your Kevin McAllister. So like, does he then reveal it to her before they get on the plane at the airport? She needs to know what she's got to pack. Although of course she won't pack, Alice will pack for her. But I just think like, so if you're going to tell her before the trip, just tell her now. Why wait? What purpose does it serve to keep her in suspense? But no, she's happy. She's visualizing her happy place. And then (laughs) Steph's reminding us of the status quo again. So they're going to go and pretend to go to college. Edward's really worried about her missing human things. So she's got a great, oh, she's already graduated, but she wants to have sex. That's the other human thing. She's got to tick off a bucket list. And then once that's done, she can become a vampire. I thought like one of the more pressing issues was the fact that the Volturi are going to keep an eye on her. But no, what's more pressing is that she loses her virginity. (laughs) Of course, let's get our priorities straight. And then she's wondering about newborn vampires, what she'll be like as a newborn vampire. Spoiler alert, she'll be fine. Because again, in this book, Everyone gets a happy ending and it's not deserved. But she's like, I've seen newborn vampires. Usually they're just wild and crazy and strong. She thinks after several years, my biggest personality trait is going to be thirsty. But she just can't wait to eat all that blood. She can't wait. But first she wants the honeymoon. She wants sex. So that's why her honeymoon is her happy place. Because she'll finally get to have sex with her husband. And she says, I didn't care for the moment that the whole town was talking about me. I didn't think about the spectacle I would have to star in much too soon because I was with Edward in my happy place. And that's the end of the chapter. But like, can we circle back to you saying, I don't care for the moment that the whole town is talking about me. The whole town? Do you really think the whole town is talking about you? Maybe the people who saw you in your fancy car, although they wouldn't have seen you because of the tinted windows. So they're talking about a fancy car in town. They're not specifically talking about you. Also, this town had a string of disappearances and like bodies turning up in the forest. Did they not? Just a few short months ago, people were disappearing. Now Jacob's disappeared. His face is on every telegraph pole. And you think they're all talking about you? They, you, you think they're obsessed with you? Ah, Bella, you kill me. So welcome back to Breaking Dawn coverage, guys. Ah, can't wait for the next book where nothing else is going to happen because nothing really happened in this chapter, did it? Anyway, what are your thoughts on Breaking Dawn? Do you like it? Is it the best of the series? 
What are you looking forward to coming up? Please let me know. Reach out. I'm at Pod Breaking Down on Twitter and Breaking Down Bad Books on Instagram. And you can also head over, as I said, to Patreon at patreon.com slash breaking down bad books to check out the exclusive content. At the moment, we've got new episodes of Fifty Shades Freed coming out every Friday. But you can also check out the coverage on The Maze Runner, the other Fifty Shades book, the Divergent sequel, Allegiant. Lots of content over there for $3 a month. And so for now, I'll leave it there and I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. 